0: Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne.
1: And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. This week we are here for the season three midseason recap where we will be reflecting on the highs and lows and everything in between <laughs> from the first half of season three. And
0: we're also joined once again by Elena from the Women of Questionable Morals podcast, and she'll help us break down uh, the season and speculate about some Gilmore Girls theories, which is always fun. Thanks mm-hmm. for joining us. <laughs> Welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I'm very excited. Season three is one of my all-time favorites. I think it's not a hot take at this point. <laughs> and uh, I I really enjoyed your guys' recap because so much does happen. that mm. <laughs> You forget how much is packed and yeah i'm excited to discuss it
0: yeah i think we've talked about how this happens with other shows also but like season three is really when they like hit their stride kind of my other big example is always parks and rec Mm -hmm. where you can basically skip the first two seasons unless you really want to watch them they're so funny but the third season's when it's really when it really gets good yeah i
2: remember introducing my partner to parks and rec and like Starting the first season, I was like, this is not as good as I remembered. And then it got really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so then you're like, but yeah, I, I always respect uh, Ugly Betty for that because it oh, ended yeah. after four seasons and it was just It was perfect. good the whole way. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's such a good, I always forget about that show, but it was so good. So before we get into our Talking Fast segment, just a couple of reminders Um, We are still doing our sticker contest, so to enter that you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send us a screenshot with your address to talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com and we'll send you a sticker.
2: I'm still waiting for mine.
0: Oh, really? I sent it like two or three weeks ago. Oh,
2: boy.
1: Oh, dear.
0: (laughs) Maybe I'll, I'll I'll send it again. We can always send another. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, international. (laughs) And the second reminder is that we're currently running our March Madness competition inspired by the NCAA basketball tournament, but we're bringing a Gilmore Girls approach to it. So we are playing quote-unquote games over the stories, which is essentially asking you to vote for your favorite character of the matchup, and we are following the march madness schedule so there's a lot of different rounds to vote through and we also have a wordpress website where we have the um the pdf of the bracket which will update based on who wins each round so that's at talking fast podcast period wordpress period I mean, I don't know yeah. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> I am
2: so relieved because when I saw that you mentioned March Madness, I was like, I don't know anything about basketball. March Madness is something that exists in my idea of pop culture from watching American television. I, I don't understand anything of how it works. <laughs> yeah
0: neither do i alexis basically organized everything great (laughs) yeah
2: we will follow your lead where you lead we will follow very
1: good yeah i was explaining this is what a seed is and this is you know the first round the second round it's gonna be fun there's Mm -hmm. some pretty like contentious pair-ups already
0: um so i'm excited to see where we end up yeah i'll have to check
2: the stories (laughs) (laughs)
0: um also we're taking a little bit of a break after we have an interview lined up next week and then a little bit of a break because as we mentioned alexis is taking her exams and i'm (laughs) defending my dissertation so we will be back on april 18th with the rest of season three
1: we will be changed people (laughs) yeah we will
2: (laughs) oh yeah we're gonna have to have a before and after interview
1: <laughs> <laughs> it'll be
0: like if you catch us right after our our respective exam slash defense we'll both mm-hmm. just be like elated and then two two hours later we'll both Crash. be crashed out mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah hopefully you won't get the flu or anything afterwards. oh my
0: gosh yeah i know i'm not but, like once on the it. stress is gone <laughs> when i was
2: preparing my defense someone sent me a meme which is a stick drawing of someone in front of their panel and they're saying sometimes the best defense is a good offense ah, and they have a sword <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh yes <laughs> So That's yeah well good luck to both of you <laughs> thank you i learned today i do not know if this is real but i kind of don't care because it's fun that the expression break a leg before going on and performing is meant to say because we hope you end up in a cast.
1: Oh, Uh, that's a great pun. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know if this is real, but I love it. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) I like that too. All right, speaking of tests and exams, um, it's more a quiz, I think, uh, our Talking Fast segment (laughs) uh and this is a tall order because we're going to attempt to do the first half of the season but still in our typical 30 seconds so we'll see what happens we'll see how it goes <laughs> this is terrifying mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll volunteer as tribute i just watched
0: the hunger games the other day it's so. on netflix now I'll go first it's all over
1: my tiktok <laughs> for you page <laughs> nice <Which laughs> My like.
0: tiktok right now is pedro
1: Pascal. that's so. good fair enough <laughs> Okay, I'm ready. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. So we start off at the
0: end of the summer with the fallout from Zuki's wedding still looming. Find out that Jess has a girlfriend named Shane. Christopher is basically out of the picture except when he decides to crash Friday night dinner and Emily then defends Lorelai, which is great. Um, but Sherry is still pregnant and he's with Sherry and let's see, stuff that's happening at Chilton, uh, Rory's applying for colleges, she is considering Yale and Lorelai's angry about that and then uh, they break up, uh, Rory and Je-
1: Dean break up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I uh, panicked at the last minute. <laughs> I think you had a fantastic recap of like the first couple episodes.
0: <laughs> yeah. As, yeah, that's -hmm. that's what always happens. (laughs) Okay, who wants to try and clean up what I destroyed? (laughs) I can go. Are you prepared?
1: Uh, As I'll ever be. (laughs) Okay, ready, set, go. Okay, we pick up at the end of summer. Lorelai and Chris are over. Lorelai dates a couple men this season, but not much. Uh, Max, No. Um, ah, uh, uh, John Ham. I'm wasting time. John Ham and Alex. Uh, Rory and Dean and Jess have a love triangle. Kind of. Shane is there. Um, uh, Rory and Dean finally break up at the dance marathon. They also have the college application plot. Rory ends up applying to Yale and Harvard and Stanford. Francie is a mob boss. Uh, nice detail. <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Wow. I can't even think of what you left out but I'm sure that there was something yeah (laughs) vote of confidence Hmm. (laughs) are you prepared Elena
2: this is uh, I'm I'm actually really (laughs) stressed right now but it's okay
0: (laughs) okay ready set
2: this is a great arc for Kirk, so he puts himself out there and asks Lorelai to date him. He also celebrates his win with of the dance marathon, despite everyone else making fun of him for his great abilities. He also invites a cat into his family, and this is a great arc. We love it for Kirk. We also want to see justice for Sherry, because Lorelai and Rory make fun of her baby shower for Shane and for Lane, unfortunately. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I love that nice. I'm glad that Kirk, you tackled yeah. Kirk because I'm going to bring him up many times this episode
2: <laughs> Yeah, I decided I was going to be like you know what, so much happens with Kirk in this arc yeah. that he needs to be celebrated That's
0: mm-hmm. something I loved about season 3 so far is like we saw all the townsfolk and stuff in the last seasons but now they're really starting to get kind of story arcs like we finally get a story arc for Lane and Sookie and Jackson are featured a bit more. Kirk mm-hmm. has like an episodic, every single episode, he has a story arc, which is good.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was going to say like, and Rory won't shit or get off the pot when it comes mm-hmm. to who she wants to date, but Lane gets <sighs> the man that she deserves in Dave Fugaski.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. (laughs) Yeah. When I was trying to think of my Stars Hollow moment from the first half of the season, I did find it hard to pick because of the plethora of excellent town moments and events and the, yeah, the featured townspeople, I... I had in my list, of course, what has been mentioned already, the Kat Kirk plotline, I think is, (laughs) of course, a highlight (laughs) in terms of town moments. But I also loved the town meeting from episode six, Take the Deviled Eggs, where Miss Patty's date, Jesus, interrupts. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And all of the town are like, ooh. And it's also got Taylor and the bird problem, and the town loner if he can protest or not problem so it's just like the epitome of stars hollow it's very good <laughs> oh, I, I managed to use that. the
2: town loner uh part in a like twitter conversation with my friend who does like <laughs> philosophy of silence mm-hmm. and <laughs> and they were just like oh this is genius can i use this in my next article i was like of course
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: so interesting because yeah we ne- like he Attempts to speak, but we never understand him. We never see his words on his banner. Mm -hmm. He's a loner. But it is
2: a moment that like gathers the whole town. So like, Mm -hmm. it is an event, but there's no communication to be had. It's a complete like lack of communication.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. We did a poll on Instagram with like some made up potential things he was protesting, and I think like I did some legitimate ones, then I did some like Taylor. He's protesting Taylor, but I think climate change actually came up as the biggest thing he was protesting. Which, like in two thousand, was this like two thousand three or something, was pretty relevant. But I don't feel like there was as much going on. Yeah, I forgot about that. Wow, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, wow. Mm -hmm. throwback.
2: (laughs) Maybe it was a way for the writers to like do something without actually doing something because mm, they don't yeah. want to be cancelled or anything, yeah.
0: Yeah, that sounds sounds accurate.
1: <laughs> what were both of your Star's Hollow moments from the first half of the season?
2: Uh, for me, it has to be Kirk lapping the gym,
1: <laughs> holding
2: the trophy. I That moment lives in my brain rent-free. <laughs> I think anytime I want to celebrate anything, I'm just like... <laughs> He's just like... <laughs> Yes, because I think you you also both talked about it in your episode recap. Like he has so much skill, and they mm-hmm. keep trying to frame it as something, yeah, like shameful or embarrassing. And you're
0: like, he yeah. is
2: really awesome at this, guys.
0: <laughs> like this is all he has in his life. But every single episode, we learn about new things he has in his life. Like it's all he has good. so much he in his is, life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's got a full life. He just doesn't have yet a love interest, which I think is what Rory and Lorelai sometimes consider,
1: like, having a full life. (laughs) That just made me think, like, a lot of the times in interviews, like, the creators will be like, oh, don't think too much about the boys. Or, like, actors will say that too. But then, like, the way it is portrayed, like, they make such a big deal out of boyfriends and romantic pairings and stuff. It's like, of course we're all voting for our favorite boyfriend. Like... You created that for us. Anyway. Yeah, it's true. My
0: Stars Hollow moment was like the first five minutes of the dance mm. when everybody's dancing and Babette and Maury are doing their little dance where like Maury lifts his leg up and Babette swings underneath it.
1: And like, but I've then,
0: <laughs> yeah, then they then they just leave. And I just liked that um, the whole town participates, but the whole town also doesn't like carry on the whole time like Kirk and Lorelai do so it's just like a fun town activity and mm-hmm. then you get to observe people doing yeah it felt very like,
2: inclusive like if mm-hmm. you want to dance for five minutes you can or if you want to come and watch people you can although Rory might make fun of you but yeah
1: <laughs> I actually yeah. Was think- I realized after we had recapped that episode that I believe it was directed by Kenny Ortega, who does like high school musical and other things, um, oh. as well as uh, just thinking about the production value. Like we don't often see them having that many extras and things. So it's such like it must have been such a big budget effort to even like get it going with all those dancers and things like that. It's like such a crown jewel i feel like of yeah Gunner i Girls. didn't that's know so well that done. but
2: that makes sense because he would know how to film around choreography and mm-hmm. dancers
0: yeah when did high school musical come out it was probably later mm-hmm. it's like 2005 or something yeah probably or later i don't know yeah so i guess this would have come first <laughs> wow yeah, that's a good that's point. Cool. now that you mention it i can see a lot of similarities In that episode (laughs) and Mm -hmm. the style of high school musical which i haven't
2: watched for a long time so so. the original release is 2006.
1: okay okay close this was a (laughs) warm-up
2: yeah and then he got in his stride for high school musical 2 which is the best one
1: Mm -hmm. i don't know if i've seen that one
0: i when it was on disney channel my sister watched high school musical the first one i was like 15 at the time and she watched it Every single day, because it was on Disney Channel every single day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And I got so sick of it. So I just, like, I was not interested.
1: That was Annie for me. My little sister just had, like, a VHS or DVD of it. Annie, on repeat. And then for her birthday, she got the Annie soundtrack CD. So then it was on repeat anytime we were in the minivan, too. It was so bad.
2: (laughs) (sighs) No, but I think it was in our last episode of women of questionable morals i go on a huge line of how rory is uh troy bolton in high school musical (laughs) 2 oh Um, and yeah so (laughs) listen to that i'm gonna watch
1: i'm gonna watch that now so i can (laughs) analyze yeah that's a good teaser i feel like everyone will go listen to it now like how we gotta know more about that connection
0: yeah (laughs) It's such an inter- That would be an interesting crossover, also. Gilmore Girls and High School Musical.
2: Well, speaking of Kenny Ortega, he also. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a spoiler. I think I've said it multiple times on social media and things. But my favorite episode of Gilmore Girls is the dance marathon marathon one. And as you say, Alexis, like yeah, it has such high production value, mm-hmm. and so many things happen with different pockets. You get really cute moments with Dave Rogelski. Mm-hmm. You get yeah really tense moments obviously with the main love triangle but that's also you know the drama we live for Mm -hmm. and uh but Kenny Ortega also directed my other really favorite episode which is um for deep fried Korean Thanksgivings oh yeah yeah
0: yeah we just did that recently also that's so interesting because I feel like those are the two episodes out of this whole season that I really like remember the most, yeah. though it's also been a while now since we've been doing the slow rewatch. That I've seen the rest of the season, so mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what mm-hmm. happened. I just
2: feel like but... they're really tight.
0: Yeah, like, they yeah. have so
2: much going on, but they're very yeah well done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Especially, we just watched the last or the last uh, episode we recapped was episode eleven. Though,
1: um, I solemnly, it? swear. I solemnly swear. It's such a forgettable episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, we both kind of hated it by the end of recapping it. And I think it was because of the directing that we mm-hmm. we found out. like It was the only thing that person is credited for having directed, which is, I mean, they could still be a great director. We yeah. don't know. But this one just seemed like there were so many odd choices. There was mm-hmm. no real tension. It was all just contrived tension. It was pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess you,
2: you can start telling if you are... Um, aficionados like uh, all of us here are uh, mm. that you know you can tell when a director hasn't done other episodes because they mm-hmm. don't have the feel mm-hmm. for the show
1: yeah yeah the yeah. vibe of the episode was off and it was almost like subliminal that I noticed it was off and then only once I felt that I would start to think about okay what actually is off compared to other episodes and whatnot but I had that as my least favorite episode as well, Suzanne. <laughs> and I also had um, Application Anxiety Episode 3 as another, and this could be maybe a way for us to talk a bit about all things college and application and whatnot, but I just found myself getting so tired by the end of the first half of this plot and how they seem to not have put like barely any research into like how college applications actually work. And we talked about a bit about that with Larissa on our Thanksgiving episode as well. Um because she was a had background info on college application. But as someone who applied for undergrad and grad school, it was just kind of maddening <laughs> to hear about a lot of this college stuff by then.
2: So, this is where mm. I strongly disagree,
1: yeah, great, <laughs>
2: <Nice>. <laughs> and I think it's interesting also to you know both of you are at a certain stage in grad school mm. um, and I'm out of it now, so maybe I can look back with more rose tinted yeah. <laughs> glasses, but for me, I first saw Gilmore Girls maybe right before I started applying to undergrad, and then I remember rewatching it as I was applying for grad school. And this was one of those moments of me connecting with Rory so mm. badly about, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was a high achieving student, but I still had a lot of anxiety about whether i would get in whether i would would i get scholarships when i was applying for my phd overseas like i was really stressed about getting my visa because they scare you you're like you pay so much money Mm -hmm. up front but if there's a mistake in your documents like you lose it and you have to apply again i was like i don't have a money to apply a second time (laughs) and um so i've i really felt also like later on when rory's thinking about what to do after graduation in, of mm. Yale like her like drunken crying on the floor <laughs> I also really related to that so for me I guess I kind of remember the time when I watched this and I felt like it was super relevant to my life so it doesn't mm-hmm. really bother me that it's not super accurate I mean mm-hmm. yeah Lorelei like not knowing that Rory has to apply to multiple <laughs> colleges is a bit weird like mm-hmm. come on yeah um <laughs> But even if you didn't know it was a rule, like who does that? Who applies to one place? It, well, Blair in Gossip Girl. <laughs>
1: I've brought that up multiple times, I think. I've been rewatching <laughs> Gossip Girl right now, so I, it's on my mind always. And yeah, oh, yeah, Blair is the key example. <laughs> and but look also, how it turned out for I love, her.
2: <laughs> I love the Springsteen family. I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> I love Zoltan Kameni. Like, I think they do a great job. Um,. And I loved when you did that interview with John Carrera. I mean, like oh, he was, yeah. he auditioned to play. That would like, have been so sun. weird. That <laughs> would oh, have been yeah. so weird. But yeah, so that's that's why I, I personally appreciate the anxiety and also as much as it is tense, you know, when Richard tricks Rory into like a surprise interview, uh, I think that is also really well done because it is really framed as Lorelai against her parents around Yale Mm -hmm. and this is a moment where Rory's like you're actually no one is like thinking of me Mm -hmm. (laughs) really and about you know how I want to do my application process yeah I think yeah so I don't I don't mind it for me I relate to it strongly um, but I also don't I mean I still have to apply for funding and grants and jobs so I guess (laughs) I'm still in that game (laughs) but yeah, for me, I I like that storyline. Mm. I like where
1: it goes. I mean, spoiler alert, Rory picks you. <laughs> and I I like the the scene that lives rent-free in my brain is when they tell, you know, Emily and Richard at the table and they're like, Are we allowed to celebrate? And then they like both are so giddy and they both like hug Rory on either side. It's just so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely agree with the anxiety
0: about applications. I think my problem with that episode was just the structure of it kind of got to me. Like, I, I didn't really like the Springsteen family. So that's, I think, where we really diverge. But, um, and I don't, I don't know, I think that the, it was kind of fear mongering with that panel that started out like, how you're not supposed to write about Hillary Clinton and mm-hmm. blah, 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 which fits with the with the storyline and I think fits mostly with Paris's storyline, which will come to a head later on. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just didn't like the
2: Springsteens, I
0: think. Can I point out
2: something about your coverage? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Uh, I, 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 I don't mean to be hardballing here, but... Um, mm-hmm. You you talked a few times about whether or not you feel concerned that Paris is neglecting her studies and mm-hmm. student council and things because of her relationship with Jamie. But then you also say like, oh, she's overreacting by wanting to work on applications super early. Mm. And I was like, can you have your cake and eat it too? I was just like, I <laughs> think I think Paris is fine. Like I think yeah. she could probably use not having two meetings a week yeah, and service yeah. of having a social life
0: <laughs> yeah I think I think we ultimately agree with that but we also were like just kind of having our eyes open for any moment when somebody starts to really change their personality for somebody but I think you're right I think that this is like just a good kind of way to find balance for her and to have I mean, she's ex- super excited about Jamie and very happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wonder whether we'll have a more harsh take on like when the applications, when her acceptance letters and stuff come in, and that kind of stuff, or mm-hmm. whether we'll I agree more with you. I mean, that is not you. her
2: fault. <laughs> yeah, I know that's society.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know, but I think that our ultimate decision was like that. Jamie was good for her in this time, um, and like she, we really see like a progression with how she deals with romantic connections between this connection and like later on with Doyle and even potentially <laughs> Asher Fleming, which will also Ugh. have I'll have, to talk have so about. many thoughts on oh, Asher Fleming, dear. but yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, how she deals with jamie in the end is also really shitty Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i don't know you also mentioned that (laughs) i don't know i love paris so i'm just like um Mm -hmm. they like oh you know she's a pretty thin blonde like how it can't be so unbelievable i was like for me it is so believable because paris is so intense she's like Mm -hmm. a caricature of an intense young woman Mm -hmm. and that turns away romantic partners especially if you're dating straight men um a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i think it is justifiable like yeah sure she's not in a very dire category but (laughs) i can't see how she would have experienced a lot of rejection in the past (laughs) just based Mm -hmm. on her personality like even like friendship like we i always Mm -hmm. found it kind of weird that she's friends with madeline and louise yeah but um But yeah, I feel like, yeah, she probably, even her own parents neglect her and don't want to be around her. So I don't think it's that unbelievable for a teenage girl to be like, someone likes me? How?
0: <laughs> that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was rejected by Tristan in such like a harsh way. Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. And we know that haunts her through to the revival. Yeah. Even (laughs) was one of the best scenes in the revival. Her kicking the door closed also. And Francie being there in the bathroom.
2: So good. Yeah. So
1: good. I said something positive about the revival. There we go. (sighs) (laughs) Woo.
2: The actress who plays Francie showed up in an episode of The Mentalist, which is like a detective Mm -hmm. murder show, and she plays a pedophile. (laughs) And I'm like, oh no.
0: Francie Uh, (laughs) I think Francie might be one of my favorite Chilton plots for this season so far Mm -hmm. even though she was in I solemnly swear and I disliked that episode her part in it was the best because she had that like showing up in the parking garage with a lighter (laughs) and like all this film noir stuff Um, so she's been a great addition I think
1: yeah she has such a flair for the dramatic (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I think she is a perfect like villain is a bit of a strong bird perhaps antagonist I
2: think she's Mm -hmm. a great camp villain yeah and I think they struck the right balance like because this is not Riverdale like she's still believable (laughs) as a villain (laughs) yeah (laughs) um mm -hmm. shots fired
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's too hot take anymore either Riverdale (laughs) isn't Riverdale
0: on like its seventh season or something at this point I can't, still ending. can't believe it got past, like, this. the second season. I mean, the I actors guess it's... were
2: basically being held hostage by their contract, so they're just, like, yeah, wanted gosh. to end. <laughs>
0: uh, and what was your least favorite episode, Elena?
2: So, yeah, my, my least favorite one is One's Got Classy, the other one dies, where Lorelai gets harpooned by the PTA moms. I just, I can't watch it. It's, like, I know Soraya, like, fast forward sometimes some Mrs. Kim and Lane scenes because of how harsh they are. This is the mm. one I like fast forward through. I can't I can't deal with it. I feel like it's so unfair and yeah, I just I feel like it also doesn't serve the plot. It just it's kind of mm. like a pylon on Lorelei. Yeah. So I was just like, I don't know if I need this. And yeah. yeah. And Alexis, you mentioned like the revival and that's something that I know Sarai and I want to do an episode on, like, pregnancy and, like, Mm. how every pregnancy is unplanned, basically. Mm -hmm. Except for Make Me Suki's children, but then Mm -hmm. they ruin it with the third child.
1: Yeah. Yes. Amy Sherman Palladino is, like, obsessed with unplanned pregnancy or having sex and then bad things happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like, it is... Fascinating. I like, so, like would puritanical. What... It really is, and I think like a long, like a long study of like bunheads, mazel as well. Like it is recurring, and I would that would be fun to study.
2: <laughs> yeah, ASP. Who hurt you? Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I recently thought about linking it to Paris's plotline in the revival. Because Ah, she runs a fertility clinic, and it's made like a whole parody about like Luke not knowing what surrogacy is, and I know like Scott Patterson (laughs) went on record saying he thought that was ridiculous that like Mm -hmm. they made that plot line, but I think it's interesting that you know Paris, the ways that the show frames Paris and that she goes on to become a fertility, like in the like being in the fertility industry, Mm -hmm. basically when the show is all about no, you have sex, and then you are cursed with pregnancy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I honestly yeah. felt like that was such a weird thing for her to be doing. I never thought she would be running a fertility clinic, and the cynical person inside me wants to be like, well, they wanted to do a Luke and Lorelai should they have kids plot, so they're like, how do we get Paris involved somehow? Or like, you know, how do we give Paris a storyline? Oh, what if she's running the clinic that they go to? <laughs>
2: My cynical side, because I work on eugenics, mm-hmm. is that Paris always wanted to be a dictator, and this is where oh my she can she- take eugenics. That yeah. is so.
1: Yeah, she's got all like, her, like the books good binder that she <laughs> shows Lorelai, quote unquote, with the attractive, healthy, fit people. Oh yeah, yeah, that's so true. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, back to the first half of season three. <laughs> what were your
0: gazebo moments? Maybe for the first. Or your main gazebo moment for the first yeah. 11. There were so
2: many. Um, but I, I have to give it to Lane and Dave's first kiss. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, it's just, you know, it's not the steamiest kiss. It's not, you know, the most Miba bull kiss. But I just want all the best for Lane. And mm-hmm. I think she and Dave Rogalski are a fantastic pair. And I want to celebrate that. So I give that my gazebo.
0: Yeah. Dave was such a good match. Like, he... He doesn't balk at all at all of the things that Lane has to do to get around Mrs. Kim. He, in fact, like, I think he schemes as much as Lane does, if not more, on how
1: to spend time with her, and it's so sweet. Yeah, that they're active participants together Mm -hmm. rather than him judging her or something like that. So true.
2: And I think out of all the romantic relationships portrayed in the whole show, I'm okay, I'm going to come out and say this, (laughs) Mhm. Date in lanes is the most romantic. Like mm-hmm. it's the most romantic thing to think that your love interest is as into you as you are into them and is like willing to show it. It's like mm-hmm, be yeah. the bestest thing that could happen if you are interested in being in a romantic partnership is you don't have to second guess like do they like me? Do they not? Like do I like them more? Like mm-hmm. Dave is completely all in and I think, yeah, if if we had to look at, you know, romance scale of all the relationships, this would be like the 10.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. And it's contrasted in this very season with Jess and Rory's new mm-hmm. relationship, which is not working. It's not good, you know, in that just a couple episodes later, Jess doesn't even want to put in the effort to go to the winter carnival, even though Rory does. And it's like Dave has done so much more within the first like even before he I don't know it's just yeah I agree completely
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and if I if I remember correctly we haven't gone there yet but to
0: that party the house party where Hep Alien plays and Lane is like she gets drunk and then she tries to tell her mom maybe she does tell her mom about Dave and Dave is like no I I'm willing to go through all of this just to be with you I don't want it to be messed up because Mrs. Kim Knows and doesn't approve of me yet, so yeah, he's just like so committed throughout. Even once they're already like together, I'm like Jess, who thinks that once the chase is over, he doesn't have to do anything. <sighs> Jess, the disappointment. Even though I love him,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a Jess moment as my gazebo moment, <laughs> which is the sprinkler scene between Jess and Rory, episode five iconic. I just I still stand by I think this is one of the like best Rory and Jess moments. It might be up there for me like beyond any of their like makeouts as they're dating. Like of course mm-hmm. they have chemistry in those moments, but this is just at a time where we were parched, shall we say, <laughs> and the sprinklers uh, no, I don't know, quenched go too far <laughs> Um yeah, <laughs> quenched. That's a good. Yeah, quenched our desire for the Rory and Jess and it just also plays so well into romance tropes with the whole wet and the, the sprinklers. And yeah. Yeah, it's I think a it's also
2: a, a case of Jess really being kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe un-Julie because she is kind of <laughs> playing yeah. him around. Like, but he's like, okay, you're still with Dean. I understand your situation. Let me do this for you, mm-hmm. which is such a whiplash. Of, yeah. like, yeah. how he the acts the way it's afterwards. placed in the season,
1: yeah. yeah. And he had, like, she's telling him about the problem and doesn't even ask him to help, but he, like, wordlessly goes to help at the start. And then, yeah, he's mature about the Dean thing at the end. So it is really, I like, at that point, I'm like, oh, character growth for Jess, but then it is like dialed back later on, <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that was because of how they arranged the episodes. And I think we talked about this, but like they kind of go back and forth with setting up tension between them and like Rory's reaction to him. And the episodes I think need to be rearranged. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least like this storyline between the two of them should be rearranged to actually build tension instead of just like I don't know, be wishy washy. I'll ask a
1: follow up question, I guess, while we're talking about it. Um in terms of the the structure of this whole romance and whatnot relationship drama should rory and dean have broken up in the finale of season two and why do they keep dating through the first half of season three like what would a what would a better version of this have looked like for both of you (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay um okay so this kind of plays into also the idea of like alternate timelines mm-hmm. i think at this point rory should be dating no one because she's clearly mm-hmm. like really stressed with her applications and like this is a big transition period for her you know thinking about moving away from home and doing all of these things so alternately yes she would have broken up with dean and she would have like made a vow to, like, stay single. And then we could still have had tension because you could Mm -hmm. still see she would want to be with Jess. And you could even have Dean, like, maybe trying to be like, I don't understand our breakup. Why can't we be together? Uh, So we could still have tension, but she would just not be overtly treating everyone so badly, (laughs) (laughs) including Shane. Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, poor Shane. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I was thinking, like, the... There could have been or I guess this wouldn't have happened if there was an alternate timeline but with like when uh uh after Dean and Rory have broken up and Rory's at the bridge and then Jess comes and like confirms that they're broken up he goes off to break up with Shane at least that's what we we're su- supposed to believe. And then we had like at the end of season 2 after their kiss Rory runs away. Why didn't she at that moment go and do what Jess did later on and be like Okay, we just kissed. There's obviously something here. I'll go break up with Dean. (laughs) Because
2: she had the opportunity to run away to Washington. And if Rory is given the opportunity to run away, she will take it. She will.
1: Literally as well. She often runs away after kisses. Literally and then also in terms of going away physically. (laughs) Especially with Jess.
0: She has that, like... uh, leave them wanting more kind of (laughs) persona with dress. Like they kiss and then she runs away and yells bye. Bye. Every single time. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think I definitely wish they had broken up earlier, but if they did stay together, I think that at least in episode one, maybe Rory should have started thinking about seriously breaking up with Dean and broken up with him soon after because of how she comes back from Mm-hmm. washington and it's was, like dressed up to see jess <laughs> and she's been attempting to write to jess this whole time and then dean is there and you can see like the excitement just isn't there i think that like if nothing else that should have been a clear wake-up call but she doesn't want people to dislike her so
2: yeah yeah i mean i want to give rory some grace because she's like what 17 at this point and Like, yeah, she probably should have broken up with Dean before leaving for Washington. But I can also sympathize with the idea of like, you've been gone for weeks and he's been writing to you and you're like, I don't feel like I want to break up over a letter or over a phone call. And so you come back and then I think she might have broken up with him, but she saw Jess with Shane.
0: Mm -hmm. That's true. Which is a
2: bad reason. Like, she still doesn't want to be with Dean anymore. But she's like, oh, well, I don't want to be alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think what I see, what we've seen through watching this season in particular is that so often Roy doesn't make the choice. She's so conflict averse and avoidant that ultimately she still creates conflict in her life, but then she kind of deals with what falls out, you know, like she can't make up her mind between Dean and Jess. So her mind up is made for her when she sees Jess and Shane. And then similarly, it's eventually Dean who breaks up with Rory. She doesn't, she does end up choosing Jess, but it's after Dean has like almost made the choice for her. Like you can go be with him now. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah, if I was Rory's friend, I would really just love to (laughs) advise her about, you know, (laughs) making her own decisions being, oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we don't even really
0: know if she chose Jess because we never see that conversation where they decide yeah. to actually be together. They're just all of a sudden together. <laughs> and then people are critiquing their kisses. So oh. the only decision she really makes, at least between Dean and Jess, is later on when she decides to sleep with Dean.
2: <laughs> that was a bad decision. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I think also, yeah, with the commenting on the kisses, like, Lorelai's reaction, like, is so weird Mm -hmm. and so inappropriate. Like, you can't just be commenting on, like, you can make, I would see, like, you making fun of them, like, ooh, you have a boyfriend kind of thing (laughs) between them, but, like... Lorelai also saying, like, Dean, just because you broke up with Rory doesn't mean you broke up with me. It's so so... inappropriate. So
1: inappropriate. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Like, he is also a child. Like, Mm -hmm. Lorelai, you cannot be doing this. Like, I know Mm -hmm. you're cool mom, but, like, no.
0: Yeah, just because he's tall doesn't mean he's grown up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I think the only person who could have commented on that kiss and it not be a problem was Babette's comment because that's just yeah. so in line with her character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she would have said that about anybody kissing no matter, you know, who it was. So yeah, Lorelei, if you're a parent,
2: you should not do that to your child. Like, yeah.
0: Just pretend uh, you don't see it. I think, feel yeah. like that's, that's the best way for parents to react to their kids making out.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: I'm not a parent, so mm-hmm. parents might have different ideas,
1: <laughs> Yeah, but let's, let us also circle back. Suzanne, we skipped over your gazebo mm-hmm. moment. Do you have one? <laughs> this might be
0: predictable, but my gazebo mm-hmm. moment is Kirk getting a cat. <laughs> I'm so happy for him, even though this cat seems to be a bit of a terror. <laughs> but I believe he has, he will see it through and be a good cat parent. <laughs> and I also like that the cat is named Kirk, so it's Kirk, Cat Kirk. It's just everything yeah. about it is wonderful. I love it. (laughs) It also brings us to that great line of Babette saying that she loves cats and she loves Kirk, so it's a hard choice for her.
2: (laughs) I know, it's so cute. And I love Lorelai being like, well, let's hope your cat exposes itself to you (laughs) soon, Kirk. (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) It it has so much. And, you know, Kirk is a really loving person. And I feel like he doesn't give up on people and he's Mm -hmm. not going to give up on Cat Kirk.
0: Yeah, I know. I don't think we ever hear about Cat Kirk again, but I'm no. sure like I I don't feel like that's because Kirk gave Cat Kirk up. <laughs> no. I just think it's the storylines.
2: It would have been funny when Kirk decides to move out and be like it's because Cat Kirk is taking over.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder how Lulu and Cat Kirk get along.
2: Hmm.
0: I bet Cat hmm. Kirk loves Lulu. The only but person that they like. Then they
2: get Petal the pig. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. that's that's an interesting pairing. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) It could be one of those like cute animal videos with their best friends.
0: Yeah, I think what really needs to happen is we need to get—is it Sean Gunn who plays Kirk? We need to get him on for an interview to talk about his theories about Cat Kirk.
2: Oh my God! Yes, I would love that. Same
1: someday. (laughs)
0: i think so we've talked about our good moments what were your if you had to pick like an overarching critique or friday night dinner is there something that you would pick
1: for me it's a lot of the things we have discussed already so the order the structure of the first few episodes as it relates to the Rory Jess and Dean relationship like the sprinkler scene in particular is just so confusingly placed it's so jarring the next when they're just like right back in their fight almost even more antagonistic at the dance marathon than from the sprinkler scene where they had like a nice
2: moment. That's because all the tension built up, Alexis. Oh, <laughs> now they're <okay>. really <laughs> extra frustrated. Uh,
1: yeah, really. Oh, I mean, it's all sexual frustration, it seems like. Um then the the fact that the relationship between Dean and Rory just went on so long felt so frustrating to me. And what we have kind of hinted at, or it's come up, but maybe not as much, is the very sexist treatment of shane in terms of how Jess treats her within the storyline but then the way the writers are really playing into the like rory is not like other girls kind of (laughs) approach where there's so much portrayal of shane in a negative way and i think they want us to be like seeing things from rory's perspective we're like oh yeah we're with rory our main character and shane is so this that or whatever but that's not how we felt at all when we were watching it. We're like, justice for Shane, and the same thing with justice for Lindsay later on as well. They've got a real other woman kind of problem, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, Definitely. those were
2: mine. Yeah, that that picks up on mine. Basically, like, really what bothered me is a lot of like the girl on girl crime that happens, <laughs> like. Also with Sherry and how they make fun of like, ooh, they don't have a gendered color for their. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's okay if she doesn't want to have a gendered color for her baby shower. Also, Lorelai makes fun of her. Yeah, Sherry is woke. (laughs) Um, For fashion reasons, but still. (laughs) And Lorelai makes fun of Sherry for like all her friends or her work friends. Like her best friend is Suki.
0: Yeah, that's true
2: and you're just like lots of people have friends from work like it's hard to have friends as adults like stop making fun of sherry or Mm -hmm. like the idea of like sherry wanting to go back to work and stuff you're like Lorelai, isn't that what you did like you gave birth and you went back to work i was just very frustrated with the whole treatment of sherry as being completely unreasonable and high maintenance and yeah Uh, and you've mentioned shane so i won't repeat that but also again how Lorelai is treated at Star's Hollow High, Mm -hmm. and just this idea of, you know, (laughs) women can't get anything, and it's so sad. (laughs) Can't have nice things. (laughs) Oh, and Suki and Jackson. Mm. The, like, four four and four. four.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, the four and four. Oh, my God, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) My... Friday Night Dinners kind, of t- kind of takes a turn from both of yours, which I feel like were more about the show writers and the choices they made. I'm just mm-hmm. going to critique Lorelai, which I guess is also kind of the show writers, but her like obsession with Rory not considering anywhere other than Harvard mm-hmm. and like taking every decision Rory or anybody else makes about college applications personally as a personal affront or like a reflection of her parents disappointment in her rather than Rory just having, you know, wanting to apply to more schools or Richard like thinking that he could help Rory. Maybe he didn't go about it the right way, but he like he knew that he he had the like institutional knowledge that could help Rory and Lorelai didn't, so why wouldn't he give her that help? And Lorelai of course <clears throat> takes it as a personal affront. So I'm just annoyed with her with that and I feel like towards the end of the first half of the season she's starting to kind of come around to it like realizing that her reactions are kind of unfounded but she's still having the reactions so I'm excited to see how she kind of turns that around for the rest of the season because I think I think she does come around to Yale pretty well so
2: yeah she does I I totally yeah I totally get that Lorelai has a main character syndrome a lot (laughs) I know she is but she's part of a duo of main characters and she tends to make lots of stuff about Rory about herself instead Mm -hmm. and you know she has her own deals with like you know when they went to visit Harvard and she was like staring at the class that she would have been a part of if she had like gone and so she has her own issues like and regrets I guess to deal with about like going to college but it's also like she has a very controlling relationship with Rory and I don't think we talk mm-hmm. about that enough mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like I don't want to say abusive because that gets bandied a lot about a lot but it it is problematic on some mm-hmm. levels and so this wanting to have like not wanting to relinquish Rory as a child as opposed to Rory growing up into being a young adult and yeah it, that that is hard to watch mm-hmm, in a lot mm-hmm. of things and I think Richard here plays a kind of foreshadowing of Logan in the <laughs> yeah. arc because he's the one who's like, yeah, legacies are a thing. Like, I know people. I can use my contacts to get you in. And Lorelei's obstinacy at being like, no, we want to make it our own way, but by using your money. <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> it's, yeah, Lorelai can't get past this idea of... I don't want anything to do with my parents except for when it's to help Rory get into Harvard. And then now she's like, but the house of cards is falling down if she doesn't go to Harvard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. And Richard is just like, no, you have to like, recognize your privilege here and like use it or lose it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of Lorelai's graduation when she yells to those people in the back, I am poor. <laughs> oh my <gosh. laughs> While Emily is setting up this fancy camera stuff out in the front
2: which is yeah. what every nepo baby says It's like <laughs> yeah. i don't have money my father has money
1: oh my gosh oh, wow. i think something we had been talking a lot about at the end of season two is the like lack of boundaries between the two of them and lorelei's like meshment in rory and kind of living out almost a life that she didn't get to have through rory and um this really i think that is relevant here as well like it's as if these things are happening to her like because she takes them so personally, like she's feeling it personally from her history with Emily and Richard, but then she's also kind of taking it on personally through Rory and the Harvard and the whatnot it's it's pretty it's pretty messy,
2: <laughs> and I think that her obsession with Dean and Rory's relationship is also part of that because Dean doesn't pose a threat to her. Dean kind of got fit like became a sponge and like learned Mm -hmm. all of their Gilmore Girls ways and Mm -hmm. like inserted himself and so Jess is a threat because Jess doesn't like Lorelai or doesn't get along with Lorelai. Jess um, yeah she can Rory can have something with Jess that she doesn't share with her mother which is like the books things and all of these things like Lorelai admires that in Rory but that's not something they have in common Mm -hmm. so I think Dean is the only one of her boyfriends she sees as a a (laughs) non-entity and this is why she loves Dean so much
0: Mm because she does she never really warms up to Logan that much either and I think it's because of the same reason yeah that's really interesting I have a proposal to move us to a our fun questions unless you guys have any last thoughts or want to hit any of our other segments
1: i think i would just say in tour in terms of lorelei's closet as a whole Mm. the fashion and the looks of season three it's like they have just really nailed it like who these characters are what their fashion is like there's so many good looks or even if they're not good they're consistent with the character and we've highlighted lorelei's hair being really great this season Mm -hmm. so it's like I don't know. When the first episode started, I was just like, oh, it looks so good. They all look yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, Laura is matching her shirts with her
0: necklace, which you I can't like stop yeah. noticing <laughs> now that I noticed it once. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And mm-hmm. there have been some great uh, Rory's Bookshelf moments also. My favorite was mm-hmm. the Frank Lloyd Wright Murder House yeah. Yes. Which was pretty
1: fun. That was good. so good. We learned a lot that day. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But yeah, what what fun question would you like to move us toward?
0: I was thinking we should tackle our Chilton curriculum oh. questions. So um, mostly <laughs> I think we're all fairly literary minded, so we we probably won't really focus on the chemistry or biology curriculum, but... <laughs> Um, what were some changes or like things you would add to the Chilton literature, history, English, that kind of humanities curriculum?
2: Okay, I want to preface this by saying that I could host a whole other podcast just on this. So <laughs> We should. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, uh, this will be a brief overview. Also, I'm not a lit major, like you both are, but... Um, and I don't think that children would have a philosophy class. I mean, they could. They um, They have Latin.
0: I'm, I don't know why. They either. do
2: have Latin, yeah. I think I would want to teach a rhetorics class, because I feel mm-hmm. like as they build themselves as training the future of the American empire, um, they would want to have a rhetorics class, and I could fit a lot of stuff under that umbrella. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so yeah so i have a few picks but in terms of like english stuff definitely they need to do way less shakespeare Mm -hmm. Um, i think gilmore girls has the similar problem that vampire diaries has with the civil war Uh, and like that's the only thing they ever do in school is a civil war and i feel like in gilmore girls the only thing they ever do in school is shakespeare Mm -hmm. and you're just like shakespeare is fine but (laughs) we need to have more cultural core cultural touchstones, like, mm-hmm. than just Shakespeare. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'll let you to uh, tell me about your revamped English program.
0: Okay, well, I, I have some contemporary things, but I also wanted to tackle our pre-modern era, which I don't feel like, other than Shakespeare, we get any information about for Chilton. And so I wanted to start at the very beginning for English literature. And I feel like when I was in high school, we did... Beowulf, but I had a terrible English teacher for that year because my original teacher went on maternity leave and they could only find a long-term substitute. So she attempted to teach us Beowulf and it was <laughs> horrific. Uh, she also thought we could just read Old English and obviously you cannot. It's another language. Oh my god! So I think Beowulf's an interesting choice, but I don't necessarily think it's the best in high school because you need so much cultural context for it and you need to have a good translation. So instead for old English literature, I want them to read the Exeter book riddles, which are, if you've read or seen The Hobbit, the riddles in the dark between Gollum and Bilbo are loosely based off of the Exeter book riddles. But it's a huge list of just great old English riddles. There are some like religious ones you can talk about religion in the time period. There are some raunchy ones, so the high school kids can have a nice laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would do those for Old English. And then I thought Middle English is a good time to start picking up critical race theory and like looking at the history of racism in the Western literature. So I would pick The King of Tars, which is about... uh, It's a Middle English story about christianity versus islam and it also uses a lot of racial signifiers so for example once the uh king the saracen king or the uh muslim king is converted to christianity he turns from black to white so i feel like that's a great great way to start talking about race and religion as well i would also Mm -hmm. pick chaucer's the prioress tale from uh the Canterbury Tales, to really talk about anti-Semitism and the history of that in the in English and in Christianity, because that's what that whole tale is about. So those are my pre-modern. I also wanted to add Dr. Faustus by Marlowe to the Shakespeare curriculum, because we just need some something to break that up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for early modern proto-feminist writers, I also thought we could do Estelle and Cavendish, who one of my friends is writing her dissertation on and could add to that curriculum, but I know that they're both kind of proto-feminist 18th century writers, so that's my pre-modern stuff.
1: That's
2: good. (laughs) Yeah, I I would add to that The Tale of Genji, uh, which is uh, Japanese, and sometimes this is debated, but we could discuss that in the high school class, Um, Mm -hmm. like Pioneer as the first novel, basically. Yeah, okay. And uh, I have not read it personally, but my friend Sophia, who is a comparative lit scholar, uh, reviewed it. And yeah, I think it would be nice. important in kind of giving it like a non-Western perspective on pre-modern literature.
0: I read and taught the opposing sides of that war, the tale of the Heike. Um, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I can't remember exactly. But so I, yeah, I think that's it would be awesome to have a global literature class as well as just like an English literature class, because I feel like that's that's part of what is really the downfall, I think, of uh, high school literature curriculums and just like the American centric- centri- cent- focus on American and English literature um, mm-hmm. without any sort of global context. That would be mm. great to add.
1: As the Americanist, what would you add, Alexis? <laughs> you know, I could add a lot, but I'm only going to think about one specific instance. I want to meet the Chilton kids where they're at, those <laughs> upper class elite families. I want them to read some Edith Wharton, some like Henry James perhaps. Like, let's see some critical realist text portraying the kind of world that you're in and see if they could um, be self-aware about that or not either way Mm -hmm. I just think that would mesh so well I think of Gossip Girl they perform the age of innocence at their high school I don't think any of them end up you know thinking too critically about that but maybe (laughs) you could um at Chilton (laughs) Uh, the references
2: to Edith Wharton in Gossip Girl it's my favorite thing about Gossip Girl Lily
1: yeah. Vander Woodson marries Bart Bass. I know. Lily Bart, or, heroine yes. of House of Mirth. House of oh, Mirth starts at Grand wow. Station Central. Serena Where Serena pers- comes out. Yeah, out, yeah, it's out in the first scene. So oh, wow. <laughs>
2: It's so good. I, did not,
1: yeah. I didn't know any of this. I'm
0: going to watch that show completely differently now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah,
1: and there's references occasionally, like yeah. Gossip Girl mentions Edith Wharton at one point. Like, yeah, so mm-hmm. it's good. <laughs> What kind of do you have any contemporary
0: novels you'd really want to add or anything any other genres
1: beyond historical stuff i don't I hadn't thought about it i like I said, I've been very in the in the books yeah. right now of my yeah. field yeah that's
2: that's fair <laughs> mm-hmm. i okay, so I have like two series that I would like to do one would be kind of, well actually multiple, okay, so there would be like one looking at critical interpretation of fantasy so I would love to look at Babel um an arcane history like or on the necessity of violence and you know it's this kind of like historical fiction um fantasy with like What if we did dark academia, but with colonialism? And Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to unpack there. But also, I would love more people to read Son of a Trickster by Eden Robinson, which I believe is an amazing, amazing fantasy, magical realism. Mm -hmm. It's complicated, but like using of um, indigenous cultures of the West Coast of Canada. And it's, yeah, and... Tied with the Marrow Thieves by Sherry Dimaline, also like dystopian world that centers uh, First Nations peoples and indigenous peoples. And I think like all of that combined, I feel like is a interesting way, especially, I would say, in Robinson and Sherry Demoline's book, because they are set like on Turtle Island or on the territory that is kind of shared like Chilton is on and... Um, yeah, this idea of, like, rethinking your sense of place and when you have such a huge importance set on, like, the role that these children play in the Hartford Society or, like, the New England High Society in general. And kind of, yeah, so if they're reading Edith Wharton and learning Mm -hmm. about their culture, (laughs) they can also (laughs) learn about, like, Mm -hmm. okay, what it looks like um, across there. And, yeah, I would love to replace any... Um, Hemingway with The Street by Anne Petrie mm-hmm. uh which is an amazing part. If we're thinking about realist writing, this is like a nineteen forties realist version of uh a single mom in Harlem. And yes, it is amazing and yeah, definitely should be on every high school curriculum. And then I would love to oh yeah, in the fantasy realm I would also add She Would Be King, which I actually just finished by way to more. And I feel like this is a book that would really benefit from being discussed in class because it's like not the easiest, like most entertaining read, but it's all about like reimagining the birth of the country of Liberia in Africa and how it's all African American former slaves who go and recolonize and resettle africa and kind of have fights with indigenous peoples there and it's just yeah i think it's it would be a great book to unpack and why more helpfully puts a list of the sources at the back also where nice. you can look at the actual history so i think that would be a great book to study in high school and something that is like i had no idea about it and i, I suspect it's little known that you know former African American slaves like <laughs> started a country, and yeah um, and this like another term in and kind of like when uh Suzanne, you're talking about global literature and things, I think it would be cool to have a whole like module or something where you read books in translation mm-hmm. and I mentioned jawbone by. Onika Oheda. And I don't know, like I teach college aid students, so I don't know if this is appropriate. Like it is a horror, um, gothic horror, um, but it is set in a high school in Ecuador. So it's a very like tropical gothic, which is so cool. And it's all about toxic relationships between women and like girlfriends and uh, also like teachers and things. And so I think it would be a great way to like talk about these difficult things in a high school setting um in a way that is also like very has great literary value in my humble opinion. So yeah, and then I mean I also think that and I don't know, like I haven't been in high school for a while now, but <laughs> like reading a lot of nonfiction and like learning how to read nonfiction critically I think is important and like doing things like this is Ear Hustle, which is a book um, created by the producers of uh, Ear Hustle, which is a podcast that tells stories about people who like life inside of prisons and uh, the life of formerly incarcerated people once they come out of prison. And it's just a very humane look into uh, a part of society that we all do our best to like shun away and so things like that and things like places I've taken my body by American poet Molly McCully Brown who is physically disabled but is also an academic and like reflecting on like these tensions of having academic interests and ambitions and living in a disabled body and As, you know, Chilton, they're all like supposed to be high achievers and things like I think it would be really important for them to consider like these different perspectives. And who knows, like it could also speak to some people who may not be willing to be open about their neurodivergence or their disability. Um, So, yeah, so I think, yeah, if we're taking seriously this elite education, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we should expand that and teach them to think critically about different corporates but that's (laughs) it I feel like I got really serious there but I'm just like
0: oh I agree I was also like you have the module of works in translation I think it'll also be great to have uh either a linguistics class or like just a linguistics module just to kind of get the idea of language change and where like what that means for history I think Babel of course would be a great um some a great book to pair with that, which I just started reading today. I'm very excited to finally read it. Um, but yeah, I feel like linguistics would be helpful to situate things. And I also wish I had learned linguistics in, in high school, um, mostly so I could tell my parents to shut up about the different slang and stuff that <laughs> younger generations use. But
2: Oh, well. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> within my rhetorics class, I could fit that in. Like... Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> yeah, the uh, rhetoric of language evolution and generational, I don't know, discomfort with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I also, like, as a contemporary book, I would also add N.K. Jemisin's, the first book, maybe, of her Broken Earth trilogy. I don't know if you could read the, the, whole, the, whole, yeah. the whole ones, all three of them, but... Yeah, I would definitely add that. So good.
2: Yeah, that's yeah, that's an amazing yeah feat. I would also add The Death of Vivek Oji by Akwaike Emezi. I mean, this will probably get a lot of pushback because Emezi is a trans author and this is a story about a trans kid. But um, we covered it in on Bookshelf Remix and Sophie and I were kind of like, I think this is the perfect novel. Like <laughs> it is structurally so good but also amazie is amazing at writing about things like love and grief in a really touching way and it's all a book about like found family and the difficult relationships with your bio family when you're queer especially when you're trans and like it, it was also a book that is unapologetic about being about nigerian people in nigeria and is doing zero pandering to try to explain the culture to try to present it to not only just a white audience but like a non-nigerian audience and it's one of those books where you feel amazing really went took a leap and was like i'm not going to write a book for the market I'm going to write a book. I'm going to take a gamble and write a book for like a very niche audience, which is like Nigerian people who need to be seen in their transness Mm -hmm. because I'm one of them. And I think that is, they should be studied just for that fact alone of this idea of like how the different ways that we write books, that we market books, that we, that the publishing industry uses books as a currency and as, as as we all use books as social currency, and yeah, I think uh, The Death of Vivek Oji should be studied as a masterclass in choosing to write a book with your whole chest mm-hmm. about and for a probably very small niche of people and how that can be so illuminating for the rest of us even.
0: Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to add that to my list. That also <laughs> reminded me of another book by R.F. Kwong that's coming out soon, Yellow Face. Yeah, which I think would also be a great like I'm so critique of publishing and like what's published, who stories are told, and by whom. That kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I have obviously haven't read that yet, but that, <laughs> it's promising. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And my last one <laughs> <laughs> uh, is I want to shout out How to Read Now by Elaine. Castillo, who is a uh author. And she, it's a, like an essay collection. And I think it is the epitome of what Rory would be reading now. If Rory were like in high school now, it would be one of those books she would pick up on her own. And again, I could cover it in my rhetorics class because it's all about <laughs> interpretation and like how do we read, how do we interact with not only books, but media. And yeah, it is, it is a, again be part of the arsenal or the toolkit to teach kids about uh engaging critically with media in general
0: i love this new curriculum (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) okay speaking of engaging with media critically this transition kind of works uh (laughs) apocalypse zombie apocalypse (laughs) um the mushroom apocalypse with the last of us i know elena you haven't seen the. yeah last i of thought us, I, was. But... I was like
2: what's the mushroom apocalypse <laughs>
1: <laughs> just wait oh, god it's it's, so good uh, right so in our notes i wrote mushroom apocalypse which is related to the last of us it's uh, their version of zombies is mm. um through like fungi spreading mm. fungus um
2: which is also like it is a trope in horror and mm. um my first thought was mexican gothic because mm. the big bad is an evil mushroom, basically. Oh. I mean, the big bad is the white supremacist patriarchy, but through <laughs> right. enacted through the weapon of demon mushroom. Um, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But we can, you know, make it more abstract to just be any kind of zombie monster sort of apocalypse. And the question is who in Gilmore Girls would survive an apocalypse situation? <laughs>
2: So my first th- thought was Kirk. <laughs> <Mine Yeah>.
1: too. <laughs> Me too. Me <laughs> too.
2: Kirk is scrappy and Kirk is not constrained by social mores. So he would like be willing to do whatever it takes
1: mm-hmm. to
2: survive. And I think he would also, you know, care for other people and like make sure they also live, but he could be harsh <laughs> and also <laughs> leave them behind <laughs> if his <Yeah>. survival <laughs> depended on it. So. <laughs>
0: He has no qualms with dashing other people's dreams like the Twickham house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I think Kirk would definitely survive because, yeah, he he is resourceful. He can kind of figure out how to survive in any situation, even though, like, he doesn't seem to have, um, like, societal stability. He's still super stable in his own way and I feel like he could easily translate that into an apocalypse situation. I also get the feeling he might be some sort of hoarder in a way, uh, mm-hmm. which might lead to uh, having a huge store of food, which would be great. Um, and he can make social connections, but he also, yeah, as you said, he seems fine with just kind of, or he seems like he would be fine with choosing the the best option. Even if it's leaving other people behind,
1: <laughs>
0: poor Kirk, and he also has Cat Kirk, who is a
1: fierce, fierce ally. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found myself thinking Kirk, and then after that, pretty much like no
2: one else. <laughs> I yeah. don't
1: like none of the Gilmers, none, they would not. No, at I all. just
2: agree. I think Emily oh. Emily would like organize everyone. And she would become the de facto leader. So I don't think Mm. on her own, if she were lost in the forest, she would survive. But I think, like, she would make other people do stuff for her. And, like, she would create order in the chaos. And I also think Mrs. (laughs) Kim probably has prepper vibes.
0: Oh, yeah, she Mm. definitely does. She probably
2: has, like, granola bars that never expire or something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: I could see, for a Last of Us reference, uh, I could see Emily being the leader of like the QZ Fedra or Uh, something like I was gonna say new organizational (laughs) hierarchy
1: I was gonna say Taylor (laughs) oh so they could have rival
2: factions (laughs)
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah for context the QZs are like quarantine zones and there's become like a sort of fascist U.S. government that's formed in the wake of the apocalypse and I'm like Taylor's already kind of Who, like, kind of goes along with fascism a little bit already and his surveillance and organization of the town and whatnot. So, (laughs) and then maybe, like, and the Fireflies are kind of a rebellious group. And I was like, maybe Luke would be the head of the Fireflies against Taylor.
2: (laughs) Luke also has Uh, wilderness skills and he knows how to cook. He could survive, I think. Like, a fair amount of people. And if, like, they rallied around these people, I think the whole of Stars Hollow could possibly survive.
0: Yeah, what if mm. Stars Hollow became the last pocket of human civilization in the wake oh of the zombie apocalypse? That would I be. I mean, it's interesting... hard for me because
2: I study zombies, but in a completely different context. And so, <laughs> for me, like, I'm more interested in like how can we rethink society to integrate the zombies as if it is oh, fleeing yeah. from them. But <laughs> yeah, so it was funny that you put this question here. I was like, are you talking <laughs> about my research? What are you doing? <laughs> Or
1: maybe the zombie apocalypse has already happened before the show and that's why it's only ever, you know, Stars Hollow and no, they go to New York and, you know, yeah. Yale and whatnot.
2: No, <laughs> so it's um it, it's the the bubble, the oh god. Uh WandaVision bubble. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> uh, okay. I feel like we is there anything else we wanted to hit? I think that we have had a great conversation here.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you want to talk about John Hamm since in your oh, recap yeah. Alexis, that was such a huge
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's very memorable <laughs> for me. And then of course, um oh my gosh, Alex mm-hmm. I'm blinking on Charlie Billy Swan. Beck. Yeah. Charlie Swan. We
2: yeah. talked about that last time, like yeah. Yes. How yeah. he's Charlie Swan.
1: <laughs> Big fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm loving single Lorelei. Mm. I wish that John Ham was a more interesting character so he could stick around because that would have been a lot of fun. So ironic, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Knowing what would come from him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I do think it's interesting now that I think of it that, you know, this is another instance where it's not directly about money, but it's about connections that Lorelai has to like
0: mm-hmm.
2: swallow her pride and ask her mother for John Ham's number. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting in a season where like she's so opposed to Richard helping out Rory would yell and stuff like that and you're just like Woman, I don't understand you. Yeah. yeah. When is it when
0: is it okay? Like we just need a straightforward answer.
1: Yeah, the line kind of moves, you know, mm-hmm. it changes location. Which is probably like more true
2: to life. Like people aren't <laughs> like black and white and clear cut. Yeah. And maybe that one day Laura lives like, It's worth it and then the other day, she's like, It's not
1: <laughs> I think Rory persuades her into doing it, which is another thing to think about too but yeah I'm
0: interested and yeah, in yeah. know who her next big love interest is and that's also like through her family connections mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm interested I mean there's so much to say about Jason anyways so. yeah
2: and we'll have to talk about it with Soraya because <laughs> Soraya is a Jason fan. Uh, uh, really?
1: oh yeah. really interesting. interesting you don't need that many Jason scenes. I know they are few yeah. and far between <laughs> I think yeah. people just forget about him to be honest yeah I just can't get over
0: his dog that's my biggest thing like what does the dog do
2: (laughs) a little to the left (laughs) yeah I I will say that I think Max Medina slash Luke would be the best stepfather for Rory Mm -hmm. but Jason would have been the best partner for Lorelai
0: oh Mm. yeah I could see that I kind of like the idea of mish-mashing different traits from all of them together to create a the perfect Frankenstein
2: man. monster man for
0: lorelei.
2: <laughs> I was talking to my sister yeah. today. She's like, "I actually like Christopher." i was like, "What? How dare you." Yeah. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. an interesting take.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have, pl- have plenty more to talk about in Definitely. future crossover yeah, I- episodes someday. And if you Soraya want us to produce
2: well. Chilton episodes um yeah you can pay us like venmo <laughs> yeah. suzanne and alexis and Chilton. we will
0: yeah we'll come up with the whole curriculum. Chilton online
1: preparatory academy or-
2: yeah anyone yeah. Chilton can
0: get
1: global Chilton. <laughs> yeah like purdue global <laughs> except we'd be legit
2: do you think okay. paris anyway. should have become the headmaster of Chilton?
1: i think that would have been great a- that would have been a great storyline for her Dictator of a school, you know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I feel more comfortable with that than the eugenics storyline, but yeah. 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 I
1: saw her as like a lawyer or a politician or both. I don't so know. So interesting. Have you guys seen How to Get Away with Murder? Yeah. Her, her character.
2: Char-
0: her character is so, so different. <laughs> like such yeah. the opposite, but a lawyer
1: all the same. What a good yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. blinking on her name.
2: Lisa I, Whale or Veil. Yeah. Yeah, or how you right. pronounce it. Yeah.
1: When I saw that she would be in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I was so excited, but then her role was so small oh. in that season. It was disappointing. Oh, yeah. She anyway. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, right. thank, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so thanks so for joining right, us. Bud. And where
0: can okay. people find you? Do you have any plans of when the next season will be coming back for women of questionable morals, other podcast stuff,
2: anything. We are keeping that a mystery, but you can still (laughs) find us at W O Q M pod on Instagram. You can feel free to DM us. We keep receiving DMs. We love them. You can email us at W O Q M pod at gmail.com. If you have any requests for topics you would like us to cover, we, we have a, the second season mapped out it's just a question of actually being able to get together Mm -hmm. and record it at this point so fear not but yeah if you want to listen to my other podcast i have a philosophy casting call where i interview underrepresented philosophers and i also have bookshelf remix and season three is coming out eminently so maybe by the time this Mm -hmm. drops i'll have uh book one so if you want to go ahead and find out all the books and read along with us there'll be on instagram at bookshelf remix the first book we are covering is gold diggers by sanjina uh-huh. Sathian. i hope i pronounce that right and it is amazing uh, i highly recommend it and yeah so that that is me um mm-hmm. also yeah let me know if you want me to create your rhetorics class
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: awesome well thanks for coming on and mm-hmm. we'll talk soon thank you talk awesome. soon thanks for listening to talking fast a gilmore girls podcast don't forget to rate and review us and share us with your friends join us on instagram and tiktok at talking Fast podcast and join the conversation by emailing us your thoughts talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com